Welcome to today's podcast. I'm Scott Knuckles with The Untold Story. Thank you for joining me. I hope today's message will drive you to a greater faith, a more lasting hope, and a deeper love for others and yourself. I'm reminded of the quote by Thomas Edison. He said, Many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. Let's get started with today's podcast. Well, welcome back, everyone. I am so touched by this amazing journey we've been on together. As you know, the untold story is about identifying topics and issues that are most relevant to all of us as we work through this journey. This year, I took a little bit of time off to think about season two. I I still can't believe we've completed 12, 12 episodes of The Untold Story. But this is season two, episode one. And as I was praying and just asking for guidance on, on what to talk about, a subject came to mind that impacts many, many people throughout the world. It's, it's a topic that is not really talked about a lot. It's something that is obscure and and hidden, one in which we don't want people to find out. We don't want them to to see it or know that we're doing it. And I saw this study. It's a a five-year study that surveyed folks in church. And can you believe that out of the outcome of that study, it said that 68% of Christian men view pornography regularly. But even more shocking is that our 11 to 17-year-old boys report being the greatest users. And what's happening is these boys become adults. The church will be flooded with porn addicts, as if it isn't already. The title of today's podcast is How Can I Stop If Nearly Everyone Is Doing It? And I started off by talking about men. But the largest percentage of growth in porn usage today is women. So it is not just affecting our men in society. It's affecting women as well. Can you imagine that mere decades ago, saying porn in public might have resulted in sideways glances and quieted conversations? Now, porn is mainstream. It's mainstream. Couples view it. Individuals do it. Our young men are doing it all to bring some type of fulfillment and gratification. One of the most frequent sites being viewed for pornography had 30 billion hits in 2018. The United States was the biggest consumer. According to Men's Health, the World Health Organization now recognizes porn addiction as a behavioral disorder, dubbed compulsive sexual behavior disorder. The condition is defined as a persistent pattern of failure to control intents, repetitive sexual impulses or urges resulting in repetitive sexual behavior. Guess what the peak time for viewing porn is? 11 p.m. all the way through the wee hours of the morning. Since COVID, porn viewership is up 6.5%. Covenant Eyes, some of you may know that, they create software to protect the eyes of our children states that 56% of divorce cases involved a partner's obsessive interest in porn. The problem is sweeping through our nation, our world, and through the church like a tsunami. It's a wave of destruction. 
And I wanted today to bring this subject to life. I have a dear friend with me. When I first met him, one of the things that drew me to him was his authenticity and sincerity. He really has a heart for people and he loves the Lord with all of his heart. And it was early on when I met him that I heard his story and it really, really touched me. And, and it had an impact on me. And I know that the folks that were listening were touched by it. And I want him to be able to share his story. And perhaps those that are listening, those that know their children are struggling or their spouses are struggling, could hear this message and walk away with hope and some areas and opportunities in which they can overcome this. Bill has been married for over 23 years. He has a degree in philosophy with a major in English. His most recent role was as a market director managing a large sales organization for a prominent insurance company. So as we dive into this subject, I'd love to just turn the conversation over to you. You've heard some of the stats and you can see how this is sweeping across our nation, especially our young people today. I know when I'm, when I'm online, there are images all the time, advertising images, uh, videos, you name it, that are provocative uh, and sexual in nature. And it is, it is, uh, it's almost as if it's a drug addiction, right? Because folks are struggling with it so much. But we'd love to hear you share your story and, and also your thoughts on this subject. Okay. Thank you. Um, you're exactly right. It's like a drug addiction. There is no question about it. And the pull is unbelievable. Let me just tell you a little bit about my background first, okay? Yeah, please. Uh, I was born in Brooklyn in 1944. I was raised in New Jersey, and I was uh, the second out of five kids in the family. I have a lovely wife, married uh, 23 years. I have four grandchildren, two grandsons, and two granddaughters. I was brought up a Catholic. I was a very good Catholic, I would say, loving the Lord, being very faithful to the religion. Went to a Catholic grade school high school. And after the high school, I went to a pre-seminary uh, prep type school. It was run by the Jesuits. And it was a school that would give me four years of Latin in one. Mm. Because in high school, I really only had two hour, two years of Latin, and I needed more than that. They also threw in a year of Greek. Um, I had a lovely, warm, loving Catholic family. I was so fortunate. Great parents. I was five years an altar boy. I attended Mass and Communion pretty much all throughout high school. My mother was without doubt the most major influence in my life. She loved God and brought all the kids up to try to do the same thing, to love God. Even as an example, as a very young boy, I remember on a good Friday, I think I was in first grade, my mom said, uh, she called me Billy. She said, Billy, go out in the backyard. It's almost 12 o'clock. I want you to lay down on the ground and look straight up, and I want you to talk to Jesus. You see, Jesus, she told me that on Good Friday, he hung on the cross starting at 12 o'clock, and he suffered and died a terrible death. He said, Billy, I want you to just talk to him. Talk to him and thank him for all the things that he's done and why he did what he did. So with that directive as a first grader, I talked to him with as much love in my heart as I could possibly give. And it was wonderful. But um, she directed me. So by doing something like that, I thought that was pretty amazing. 
From time to time, my mom would sit me down at the kitchen table, and she'd give me discussion talks, talked over the entire Ten Commandments. I learned them all as a kid. She did tell me, though, keep away from sexual sin to avoid that, because sexual sin is a mortal sin, and in Catholic religion, if you commit a mortal sin and die with that on your soul, you will go to hell. She put the fear in me, Wow, without question. I did not want to go to hell, so I paid very close attention to that. In high school, we actually had a visiting priest come to our school and spoke just to the boys. It was in the, the gym. He told us about the sin of sexual sin and how important it was to avoid it, to avoid sexual thoughts, sexual fantasies, reading sexual books, masturbation, all of that. He said, it's mortal sin. And if you die with that on your soul, you will go to hell. Wow. So that was mm. reinforced to me twice. So I was, a, I was a true believer just from what my mom told me, but it was totally reinforced in my mind uh, when this priest actually came and talked to us about that. My goal as a young person, like most people, I wanted to go to college, get a good job, get married. But all through school, as I was going to high school, my mom was a, a, my chief encourager. Every morning when I'd leave the house, she would say on my way out the door, Billy, get 100. She thought big. <laughs> now, I always had the desire to get 100, but the reality was I really didn't understand how to study properly, so I was very fortunate just to pull C's. I would still say, though, there was one time I got an A throughout high school. I got one A. And I'm very, very <laughs> wow. proud of that. But my mother's hope and dream for me was that I would become a priest. Our pastor at St. Mary's, uh, Mary's Church, his name was Monsignor Sullivan. He was a great priest, a wonderful man. He said, Bill, I think you, I think you have the calling. You might want to consider going in the seminary. Well, I thought about it, gave some thought to it, and decided I think I'll give it a go. As you can imagine, my parents and all my relatives were thrilled. Billy might be the first one in the entire family to ever become a priest. That was a big deal, a very big wow. deal in the, to the Catholics. So my bishop sent me to a Jesuit school in Boston, taking four years of Latin in one. The school was called St. Philip Neri. As it happened after that, right after that, after I learned all that Latin, the Pope changed the mass from Latin back to English. <laughs> oh, my. So it was a... Sort of a waste of time, but I guess it was pretty good. How many of you could imagine putting that kind of effort in and then realizing, <laughs> oh, yeah, we're going to switch it, make it a little easier. Make it a little easier. Then I went to a Benedictine seminary in Missouri. It's called the Macula Conception Seminary. Another student who went there was pretty well known was Clarence Thomas. Oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. Good man. But it was in my freshman year when the problem and addiction of pornography actually got started. In October of the freshman year, the seminary had what is called um, cultural outing day. They allowed all the seminarians to leave the seminary for a day and go out and try to get some intellectual stimulation. Find it wherever you can get it, maybe a museum or whatever it is they want you to do. But with a group of guys, some of them from the school of St. Philip Nera that I went to school with in Boston where we're going to Conception Seminary, and a few of us, six of us, all went into a town called St. Joseph's, Joseph's, Missouri. But instead of going to a museum or something like that, we ended up at a bar. Mm. Now, as a kid, I was never a drinker of alcohol, really. Uh, not even beer. But we spent four to almost five hours that afternoon drinking beer 
unbelievable. I would never have thought I would be ever do something like that. But so I did. you you were not much of a drinker. No. And then you you got freedom. So then you're out just having drinks with your buddies. Drinks, yeah. and you know, of course, we had pizza and all that. So now, upon leaving the bar. I knew I had to go back to the seminary and I was concerned because I did not want to go back with the smell of beer on my breath. Mm. Now, there was a pharmacy right across the street from, from the bar and I knew they probably had gum or something I could use to disguise my breath. So, I went over there and got it. Now, when I was checking out, there was a, a book stand and on the book stand were pornography books, dirty novels and a force moving me to take a look at these. Now, normally in the past, I just would have nothing to do with it. But for some reason, I think the beer may have kicked in. And um, now all of a sudden, my guard was let down. And I said, I'll take a look at these. I picked up two of them and just started reading a little bit. And I go, oh, this is amazing. And was it, was it your curiosity? Like you just saw it and you're, you were drawn, drawn to it? And I don't think it was curiosity, but I saw the pictures on the front and it was a very strong temptation type of thing. I see. I so see. I wanted to look a little bit deeper. So, I think the five hours of drinking beer and more than done its work because I ended up buying the books. Mm. Put them in a paper bag. I didn't want anybody to see me on the way back. And when I got to the seminary, I hid them away. And the next day, I actually read both of them. I devoured both of them in one day. Oh, my goodness. The and these are so novels? Like, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Well, you can well imagine. They went to quite a bit of detail. Can I, can I ask a question? Sure. Were you When you read the novels... Did you learn a lot from the novels because you were so sheltered and had had not really been around? Or yeah, did, okay. So you you were exposed to a new world. A you new saw world. something. It's a whole new world. Got it. It was it was quite a different world, but it, it had a major effect on me. Mm. So after reading them, I was feeling guilty, and I said, "Oh my goodness, if I maybe have committed mortal sin here." That night, I went to bed. I thought I'd just go to sleep and everything would be okay, but. The temptation came over me. It was a force that I could not could not describe. It was so powerful. The lust. It was so strong. Try to fight it. I tried to fight it. I tried to fight it, mm -hmm. but I couldn't. It just had taken over me. And then I commit masturbation. Basically, you're trying to, hey, forgive me, or I got to go see the priest and get forgiveness. But you're in the bed, and then all of a sudden, those images are coming. Oh, yeah. And then it's it, there's a hunger. All of a sudden, the guilt was really strong now. Now, in the seminary, one of the things that the seminarians did every day, we had three different services that we had to attend, were expected to attend at the church. But during each of these services, in the back of the church, there was always a priest to hear your confession. Couldn't wait to have that priest hear my confession. I made my confession, said my act of contrition. He gave me the penance to pay for my sin. And then gave me the penance of three Our Fathers and three Hail Marys or something along that line. Mm. I say those prayers. Oh, if I die tonight, I'm not going to hell. Wow. So that so the fear of hell in the Catholic Church, that that's a there's a lot of power there. Is your power. You're you can't wait to get in front of the priest and and to be, I don't know if I'm using the right terms because I, I wasn't raised Catholic, but to be absolved of those sins or to, to have that have them taken away so you wouldn't wouldn't have a fear of going to hell. Wow. And what a relief. So I thought, oh my goodness, thank you, Lord. I am I'm free. I was free and thought everything was fine until the next night. Oh my. Again, that temptation came on. 
if not even stronger than the first night. And I fell again. Wow. It's feeling so guilty, like sick to my stomach kind of guilt. Remember, I had a terrible fear of hell. Yes. Got to get to confession. Wow. So, so imagine this for the moms that are listening, that this young man, how old were you at this time? I was 19, 20. So he's 19 years old, never done this before, finds two books and reads them both immediately and then gets absolved for the sin. And then the very next night, you go back to it again. Well, How quickly the temptation came back to do it again. Well, after I read the first two books, that night I fell. The next I went next day I went to confession. And that night I Wow. Fell. So immediately. Yes. Oh, that's incredible. And yeah. I I said, I just gotta beat this. Wow. I'm gonna beat it. The next night prayed, did everything I could, fine for about a half hour. The temptation came again. Overwhelming fell again. Seemed like every single night I went through that same routine. It was like someone was shooting heroin in my body and yeah. I could not stop. I went through that over and over again, all the way through graduation, up to graduation, which is four years. Wow. So this happened in your first year. First year. So for four years, you had this cycle of getting forgiveness and going right back to it, getting forgiveness and going right back to it. I can't tell you how many times I avoided hell and then was scared about going back. I avoided wow. hell. I was scared. It was ridiculous. I had no control, no power. Wow. None. Let me let me share something that Bill's talking about. It we we were doing some research on what happens in the brain because of this. And moms out there and dads, you probably are gonna get this picture. But I was reading an article called The Hijacked Brain. And it says that when you think about pornography, understanding the brain and how it works is pivotal. When a woman is nursing her child and she's skin to skin with her baby, her brain releases a neurochemical called oxytocin, which emotionally bonds her to her child. The same thing happens during sex. God designed oxytocin as the glue for human bonding. During a sexual release, oxytocin, along with other neurochemicals, are released and cause us to emotionally bond with our partner. Listen to this. When we watch porn or engage in pornographic materials, the same neurochemicals are released, which bond us to those images. That is why Satan attacks our sexuality so much, because in attacking human sexuality, it actually interferes with human bonding. And Bill just told you that that oxytocin release, that those chemicals in the brain every night were reminding him it's time. And you can see the implications, you know, of that. It was amazing, but you could never talk to anybody about it. Right. I just would humiliate it. I did. I thought I was probably the only person in the world going through this at the time. Mm -hmm. I have no idea. So I ended up graduating the seminary, but I dropped out before going into what is called the School of Theology. Figured uh, there's no way I could be a priest. I could not any way help somebody struggling with this, knowing I'd be such a phony mm -hmm. because I could not overcome it. How could I ever possibly tell someone, I forgive your sins? and give them some absolution, and have them do penance and think that they're going to be free. I knew better. After four years, I knew better. So th this addiction altered the very course yes. of your life. Yes. Do you believe that? 
That, that's incredible. It completely knocked him off course where he is defeated before he even gets gets to that place. Great. Well, that was um, in 1968, and that's during the Vietnam War. So I graduated, and I decided I'm going to just sign up for the military. Well, I had two what they call disarranged knees. I didn't know I had them, but they tr they told me that there's no way they would accept me into the military. So I had already applied for law school, so I decided I'll just go to law school. I hated it, so I dropped out. I decided I was just going to probably go look for a job. I met a local girl, beautiful girl, and um, we fell in love and got married. Finally, this is going to just solve my problem. Yeah. Oh, thank God. This is going to just take all this lust and desire away because Mary, what a shock I was in for. It didn't. Wow. It didn't do a darn thing. It was just as bad as ever. I was under such bondage. Every time a pornographic movie would come out, I went to see it. Sometimes sitting there and watching it twice. It was awful. It was so you, you're thinking, I got this problem. I, I have gone to the priest a million times. It doesn't make me feel any better. I feel like I'm saved from hell, and now I'm going back to hell. I'm saved from hell. You meet a beautiful woman. You decide this is going to help. Because now you're going to be able to pour your love into your wife, and that'll keep you from, you know, being attracted to pornography. But it didn't. Did it? Did it help you for a time? Yeah, actually, probably a, a month. Think about that for everyone listening. It was only a month. Like he he was able to stay away from that for a month, and then it all came back. I always considered myself to be a strong person, but when it comes to this, I felt like the weakest person in the world. I had no strength whatsoever. And most of you don't know Bill's story. He's been very successful in life, has has very high standards and how do I say it? Very very meticulous and disciplined life. But even younger, he had discipline enough to go through school and to be successful in that. But if you hear what he's saying, he's there's this one area that he just couldn't conquer. Like he he couldn't overcome it. Needless to say, after a number of years, we got divorced. Mm -hmm. Would you say it's because of the porn? That was a major contributor. My ex-wife never knew anything about it. Wow. So you were able to hide it. Hide it. Oh, yeah. Wow. Totally hide it. But I was such a phony. Such a phony. I, I, every once in a while, I would still pass the Catholic Church, stop in. Maybe I can go to confession. Maybe it'll wear off. Maybe mm -hmm. if, they, if I receive penance, there were maybe a different kind of penance or something that, that is going to take it away. It didn't. Right. It didn't. I was so lost every time I saw a good-looking woman. I couldn't think of her as anything but a sex object. I totally lost all perspective of her as a human being. It was a sickness, totally out of control. Yeah. That's what it did. And you see that today, Bill, with, with images everywhere where young men are taking pictures of women walking down the road or down the sidewalk, whatever. I don't know the moms and the, and the ladies out there that are listening, but it's that bad. You have no idea that you could be walking by and you have you have young men taking pictures because they're so attracted to the image. You know, they don't know you. They don't have a relationship with you, but there's some quality that is so attractive to them sexually that they, they, they take pictures and that's what happens. But anyway, go ahead, Bill. Let's get well, it just continued and continued. I got remarried, and um, it continued. 
There was one day when I was so beaten down, so distraught with it. I'll never forget this. I was at the bottom of the stairs at the stair post. And I just put my hands on the, on the post and I put my head in my hands. And I told God, I said, God, I am so sorry. Mm-hmm. There is nothing I can do. This has such control over me, Lord. I am so sorry. I know now. I know I'm going to hell. I'm sorry. Goodbye, God. Wow. However, immediately I felt an amazing presence of peace. I felt like there was, some, and I remember it as like energy leaving my body on the left-hand side for some reason. I felt quiet and calm. I thought about that for a few minutes. I feel different. I feel different. So, I better get back to work and get some appointments for the insurance business. So that's what I did. Lo and behold, one of the appointments I set up was with a man named John Oliveira. He worked at the Cornerstone Bakery. He actually was a general contractor and his wife ran the bakery, but um, he was wanting me to come in and talk to him about health insurance for his young daughter, Lori, who had just turned 18. So that was just one of my appointments for the week. So that was on Thursday at 12 o'clock. He had to take time off for his other job to come in and do that. So we met. He started saying about what what his needs were with insurance. I asked him some questions. He told me the answers. I said, okay, let me present this, this product to you. Well, it normally takes an hour and a half to do a decent job when you're presenting a, a detailed health insurance plan. But after 10 minutes into the presentation, he stops and he says, Bill, I think I'll take it. That is music for the sales. <laughs> <And> you're shocked. <laughs> <laughs> I said, you're going to take it? He said, yeah. He said, I have a real peace about this. I'm going to take it. I said, peace about it? What do you mean? He said, well, Bill, I, I have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He's given me a peace about it. And I looked at him. I said, you know Jesus personally? <laughs> <laughs> and he smiled just like you're doing right now. And he said, yes. Do you know who Jesus is, Bill? I go, well, sure. I went to Catholic grade school, was brought up a Catholic, Catholic high school, seminary, even a little bit in Catholic law school. I, I know who he is. But do you really know him? Do you know what he did for you? Yeah. Died on the cross for my sins. What does that mean to you? Um, I thought this must be a trick question. Uh, he died on the cross for my sins. That's what it means. He says, would you mind, could you allow me to just, well, before we do that, he said, do you believe the Bible's the word of God? And I had never read the Bible. Now, when I was a kid, my parents had the Bible about three or four inches thick with pictures in it and everything else. We kept that on the coffee table, and I used to go through the Bible and enjoy that. But in the seminary, I never read a Bible. We never had it. Um, but I do remember that every time I went to Mass, they always spoke a little bit of the gospel, a little bit of the epistles that came out of the Bible. So I, so I said, yeah, I, it's, I believe it's probably the Word of God. He says, okay, good. Let me walk you through what the Bible actually says about what Jesus did for you. And this man knew the Bible inside out. I mean, he was a master. I, now, remember, he was a general contractor. He was there to buy insurance, but he could go through that Bible as a master, turning page to page to page to page to page, letting me know that we're all sinners. 
he went through the Romans program pretty well. <laughs> We're all sinned, coming short of the glory of God. Sin separates us from God. Nothing we can do personally to bring that separation back together. All our good works are like filthy rags. The Bible showed that. And I said, well, what about as a Catholic, we used to have indulgences and, you know, we could do good things. And he said, um, let me show you exactly what the Bible says about that. And he took me to Ephesians 2.8. He said, it is by grace through faith that you have been saved. The Bible says it's not of yourself. It's not of your works. Why? Lest any man should boast. God doesn't want us boasting about what we've done. He said, you're saved because of what Jesus did. And he said, Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He was accused of being a blasphemer. They brought him before Pontius Pilate, who had him scourged, ripped the flesh right off his back, drove long thorns into his head. They gave him a wrong, rugged cross that he had to carry barefoot up stones. Must have been excruciating pain that he went through. And then when they got him at the top of Calvary Hill, they nailed him, nails through his feet, through his hands. And he shed his blood, Bill. He shed his blood so that you, through his blood, can have your sins forgiven. Have you ever thought about it like that? I remember going through the stations of the cross, but I really, really took it in. So he took me back. He says, let me just read something to you. I'm going to read it right now. It's from um, the book of Isaiah, chapter 53. It said, see my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. That means lifted up, crucified. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance, his face was so disfigured beyond that of any man. And his form, which means his body, was marred beyond human likeness. Try to imagine the worst beating a man could ever take. Having his face ripped apart the Son of God, who is sinless. And he did that for you, Bill. He shed his blood that you could have your sins washed away no matter how bad they were. And that was like heavenly music to my ears. And by doing so, and by you trusting in him, by you receiving him into your heart, he will give you power over what is called the law of sin and death, which gives you the power, the power to overcome any sin, any habit, any addiction, Jesus gives you the power. I was shocked. <laughs> it's kind of interesting because you were there to sell health insurance and John Oliveira, the, the baker, brought you the bread of life. He did. <laughs> and, and he was a health insurance salesman too. <laughs> Eternal health. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. So he, he actually did. And he said, Bill, if you would want to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, we could settle that right here. You can, we can say a prayer. And you can, you need to repent of every sin you've ever committed. You need to believe that he died on the cross, that he shed his blood for you. You need to believe that he was buried, rose again from the dead. And if you believe that and you trust him and you receive him into your heart, the Bible says you will have eternal life. By you doing that, Bill, by you receiving Jesus Christ into your heart, you are now part of God's family. You're going to heaven. Threat of hell is gone. He said, are you willing to do that? You know, I wasn't ready. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine the audacity? I wasn't quite ready, but I didn't tell him that. 
And I said to myself, well, if I'm in a car accident on the way home, if I do this, maybe I won't go to hell. You talk about screwed up thinking. Right. Check, box checking. Checking yeah. boxes, yeah. So that was on February 3rd. I'm, fe- I'm sorry, February 6th, 1987. As I was leaving, he said, Bill, I'd like you to come to church with me sometime. Would you do that? And I said, sure. But I knew I probably wouldn't because I lived over an hour away. And from my point of view, when you go to church, it's a church pretty much within a mile or two of home. But this is an hour away. But I told him yes. Well, two weeks went by. And on February 21st, it was a Saturday, about 1030 in the morning. And I was walking up the stairs over the garage because that's where I had my office. And that's where I kept all my insurance applications. And I wanted to prepare for the following week. I was halfway up the stairs and a voice spoke to me. as loud and clear, crystal clear as I'm speaking with you. It said, call John Oliveira. You're going to his church tomorrow. And I stopped. I didn't argue, but I said, but he won't even be there. He just came in to do the insurance deal. The voice said, call. I went upstairs. I sat down. On my desk, I had a big, thick binder full of applications. Opened the book, and it fell to Lori Oliveira. <laughs> of, there were hundreds of them in there, but it fell to her. I said, what are the chances of that? So I said, well, I know he's not even going to be there. So I started dialing the phone. Cornerstone Bakery, John Oliveira. John, this is Bill Henry. He was quiet. I said, you remember I was in a couple of weeks ago, we talked about insurance. Bill, how are you? I said, John, I'm doing really good, but something really bizarre just happened. He said, what's that? I said, as I was walking up the stairs, a voice spoke to me and told me that I've got to go to your church tomorrow. He says, you know who that is, right? I said, it's God, right? He said, do you remember we talked about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? So I said, you mean he could talk to me personally? I said, God can do anything he chooses. He could reach you through a radio program. He could reach you through a gospel of church. He could reach you any way he chooses. He chose to speak to you directly. So what are you going to do about it, Bill? I guess I'm going. Can you give me the directions? All right. So he gave me all the directions. I was all excited. I didn't tell my my wife much. I just said, I'm going to go to church tomorrow. And she goes, what? I said, yeah, I'm going to go to church tomorrow. So I had this mindset, being a Catholic, of what a church should be like, what it should look like, and all the things that you do. So I I pulled into this, looked like a strip mall. There were a lot of people coming into this one place right near the intersecting part. I said, that can't be the church. So I got closer, and it was. It said, Faith Christian Church. So I said, okay, this is where God told me to go. And I walked in, and the people were so friendly. They were all really nice to each other, and they were talking, hugging each other, and how are you doing, and all this... And I never experienced that in the Catholic Church. You always mind your own business. You walk in, put your hand in the holy water, and, and you sit down. But there was no holy water. I couldn't right. find any when I got there. I was so intimidated. I, I couldn't speak. I was that intimidated. It's like, what is this? What's God doing? So I went, and I went to where the uh, the chairs were, and it 
it was a big old store converted. There were thousands, thousands of chairs and they were filling up. I said, I'm just sitting in the very back. I'm going to sit right in actually the second row from the back at the edge. I don't want to talk to John Oliveira. I don't want to talk to anybody. I was just so intimidated. A little bit lighter, it was all filled up and, and the service started. Well, the people playing instruments all came out. There were every instrument you can, you can imagine, organs and drums and guitars and bass and um, all different. And they were playing some really loud music, but they were all singing to Jesus. Hallelujah. And I thought about, wow, this is so different. I remember my mom told me, watch out for those holy rollers. <laughs> you found, you found them. <laughs> I found them. So for 45 minutes, that went on. 45 minutes. And then they all sat down and this preacher comes out. And he was a big guy, a big black preacher in a Bible in his hand. And this man looked like an old giant lineman called Rosie Greer. I mean, he looked like it could be his twin brother. Well, anyhow, he goes through the service. He starts preaching from the Bible. And as he's preaching, he's giving the same basic message that John Oliveira was giving me. Only this time, the Holy Spirit hit me so hard, broke my heart. He crushed my heart. And I started not weeping, but sobbing uncontrollably. I could not stop sobbing. And I kept thinking, what about the person next to me? They're going to think something's really wrong here. Well, after a few minutes, this preacher stops, got quiet. He said, someone here knows he needs to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Put your hand up. I said, John Oliver, I must have told him I'm coming. <laughs> <laughs> I go, oh, no. <laughs> so I raised my hand. He says, I see that hand way there in the back. Come on up here. He wanted me to come up in front of all these people. So I come up to the front and he tells the church, stretch your hands out toward him, everybody, and start praying. So I come up and he grabs my arm and he had a real big arm, mm. like maybe double the size of mine. And he says, it's time to do business with Jesus. Are you sorry for every sin you've ever committed? I come, yes, sir, I am. Do you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord God and Savior? I said, yes, sir. Do you believe that Jesus died for you on the cross and he was buried and he rose again from the dead? He said, yes, sir, I believe that. Then he said a prayer with me. And when he said that prayer with me, it literally felt like I had a heavy sack of stone on my back fall off, like a weight just dropped off me. Now, that's the second time I had feelings. The first time was when I told God I was going to hell and said goodbye and I felt right on the left side of my body. And now this time, when I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior, a weight dropped off my back. And I knew I was free. I knew it. My life changed drastically. I even realized that my worldview changed. I, I just knew. Everything was changing. God quickened me in such a way that I was so happy. I was so full of joy. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. It was just so wonderful. I didn't have anybody tell me what to do, but I went out to a Christian bookstore. I bought a Bible. I read the whole thing in just a few days. Wow. Then I bought another one. When Bill does something, he goes all I, the way. <laughs> I, do. I don't do anything a little bit. But uh, I ended up buying four or five or six different Bibles, read them all, underlined them, put notes in all of them. 
found as much Christian music as I possibly can and just listened to it day and night. And my ex-wife thought, what a radical. What's the matter with you? You're a fanatic. And I kept saying to myself, I guess so. I'm happy. I'm so happy. I'm so full of joy. But um, I hadn't thought about it. I hadn't thought about it. It has been two weeks since the time that I told Jesus I'm going to hell and I'm going to say goodbye. And I hadn't thought about it. But not once, not once did I have a sexual desire. Wow. Not once. So you were you were outright delivered. I was totally delivered. So instead of all the pressure of going to the priest and the apologies and didn't deliver you, it just covered. You, yeah. you had covered your sins, but it still didn't change who the internal right. uh, struggle that you had. It w- It was pulled away from you. It pulled away. There's no question in my mind. I mean, nobody could talk me out of that. I know what I felt, and I know the calmness that came after me afterwards. And I was free. All the other things I never even told you about, but I was involved with cocaine. I was involved mm. with marijuana, involved in gambling, drank a lot of alcohol. I went through all of that. After a few months, after being saved on February 22nd, 1987, on May 6th, my ex-wife, she was on a business trip. And I was home. I was making a steak on a grill, drinking a bottle of wine. Halfway through the bottle of wine, the voice came back and said, pour it out. Wow. And I go, ah. now, this is going to sound silly, but my ex-wife's, her name was Amy and her mother's name was Thelma, whom I really loved. The whole family was wonderful. And I said to, to God, I said, what am I going to do when we go out to dinner with Thelma? We always drink wine and toast. God said, pour it out. You're on my strength now. Literally heard those words. So he went over to the sink, took the glass, poured it into the sink, poured the bottle into the sink. And God said, never again will you have a desire for alcohol or drugs or gambling. He didn't mention pornography because he had already taken that away. Wow. I already knew that. So, And I never did after that. Have desire for any of those things. Now that was a radical conversion. Yes. Not everybody has that. And I'm thinking, I got to the point of knowing I was going to hell and saying goodbye to God before I got delivered. Yes. And what what blows me away and, and catch the symbolism in what happened to Bill because I, I I've heard this story but I haven't. I'm connecting dots probably like several of you are. Now the Lord said you will never drink again. Never have the desire. You'll never have the desire again. What was it that led him to pornography on that fateful day? Oh, I never thought about that. That's right. It's not that drinking is wrong for everyone, but Bill, the very thing that led him into sin, God said, no, it's familiar. And it it could lead back to that again. But I, what he shared blows my mind because think about what he said. He said, goodbye, God. I've tried everything. I've done everything. I've gone to the priest. I've, and some of you know what I'm talking about. And I've been there where you just empty it out because you're just devastated by whatever it is. Everyone struggles with things. There's no doubt. There are no perfect Christians. There are no cookie cutter Christians where everybody's got it together. But, but Bill's story, think about the points that come together. It, 
the first thing he did was he gave up. He said, God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I've done everything I know how to do. I, I've disappointed you so many times. And even though he wasn't quote unquote born again, and you, you heard how he defined that, he, he approached God with a heart that just said, I, I've tried everything. I, I want to be victorious, but I can't. And I, I'm disappointing you. And that led to a heart of repentance. And that's incredible. Like, think about the sin. If you're struggling with pornography, what does the heart of God want? A repentant heart, a sorrowful heart that will come to him and pour it out, which is exactly what, what Bill did. He just poured it out. But then think about what happened next. God already had made the sacrifice for Bill because he scheduled an appointment. He had an appointment scheduled. So Bill says all that, has no idea about John Oliveira, that he's a Christian, and God is already lining up a solution. It's a solution for us when we're stuck in sin, even as believers, right? That he comes through. And then what does he do? This is powerful. If, if, if you're thinking about the track that the Lord took Bill on, what happened? He, he rededicated his heart. He, he dedicated, pardon me, his heart to the Lord, meaning he, pornography was first place. All these other things were first place. And now he says, no, 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 I'm coming back. I, you're first place. Goodbye, God. No. Hello, God. Yes. Hello. And then I, I never knew this, but the, just think about what the connections. He gave up an insatiable appetite for pornography. And you know that because he shared it every day for, you know, periods of his life through, through school. And then what happens? He gets an insatiable appetite for the word. Amen. It got replaced. Amen. God, your, Amen. your relationship's good. And now it's like, oh, it's replaced. I'm going to give you a hunger and thirst that can't be quenched. And this kind of thirst that, that can't be quenched will bring life into your physical and your spiritual body where you're going to become an overcomer. And then lastly, just a couple other points that blew me away is nobody told him, but he started listening. He changed his habits. He started listening to music that was uplifting and encouraging and inspiring. And he started praying all those things. When you cobble them together, and that's a terrible word to use, but when you, when you put that mosaic together, you can see the power that became evident in your life from that. And, and then it, the whole crescendo is after you've been delivered, he says, hey, the very thing that brought you in, don't touch it again. Don't touch it. You're done. You're not going to have a desire. I'm taking it from you. And, and Bill and I are great friends. And when people have offered him drinks, he he doesn't care what other people do. But he's like, no, thank you. No, thank you. You know, no, thank you. Because he's holding true to the standard that's been set in his life. I don't know if you, but it blows me away to hear it. I have to add something else. The devil will never stop. Mm. Let me tell you why. I am dedicated 100% to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I am dedicated never, ever to get involved with lust and pornography ever again. But the devil never stops tempting Yes. I could be watching a football game and all of a sudden a commercial come on and a beautiful woman comes on. And for a second, I'm frozen. God reminds me immediately because I said, Lord, 
I'm transforming my mind. Just Holy Spirit, just talk to me and look away, turn it off or get out of here. And I do. Yes. And my strength is there. But if I were to give in, who knows? I'm not going to do it. I don't ever, I don't ever, ever want to be controlled by that again. Yes. Ever. You guys know what he's talking about, right? It's the thing that was so bad in your life, the thing that's so bad in our lives that we never want to go back to it again. So when he sees images or things, it it's no. I, yeah, it looks good. Of course it looks good. No. No. No, I can't have it. I want to share something with you, uh, and Bill, chime in here too, that some of you you might be thinking about what are some practical steps? Well, well, Bill just gave you a handful, you know, devouring the word. And I know you're thinking, well, the word is life. The word is life-giving. Filling your mind with, it's the, the gifts of the spirit, right? The fruits of the spirit, whatever things are lovely, dwell on these things, right? But there are a few things. If you think about what Bill just said, it's every time he sees an, an image, he can look back and take an inventory. What did porn do to his life? Right. It destroyed relationships. It made him lonely and isolated. He couldn't talk to anybody about it. So, you know, when we think of that image and we see this beautiful girl, she's awesome. She's amazing. Or ladies, you're looking at the, this guy that's well put together and you realize, Okay, that's just really death. That's all that is. Like it, it's beautiful, yeah, but it's it's death because you can look back and think about what was stolen from me when I allowed myself to do that. the The second thing that's really important is what Bill did was renounce it. Like you got to recognize what a problem it creates in our lives, right? And I love what you did because sometimes we, I know I'm, I like to fix things myself. Even though I pray about it, it's like, I'll, I'll solve it. I, I can, I'll get it under control, whatever. But what Bill did is pretty, pretty special. Admit you're powerless over it. Right. It's totally like powerless. Completely. God, I am powerless to this. And you know what we're being? We're being honest with ourselves and we're being honest with the Lord and saying, Hey, I, I can't do this. Like I, I, I can't win the battle. And. There's a scripture that says, you know, I am the vine and you're the branches apart from me. You can do nothing. Like we, he wants us to fall into him for the help. You know, that scripture, probably folks that are listening have quoted, I can do all things through what? Not me, through Christ who strengthens me. And that, that's what, that's what Bill uh, got. You know, it's like, I can't do it. I need your strength to, to get me through, right? God is an amazing God. He doesn't leave us alone. He actually has, gives us three major sources of power. Number one, he gives us his word. What a powerful thing that is. He created the universe, created everything that ever was. He knows how it all works. Secondly, the blood of Jesus is a power source, just like the word is a power source. There's power in the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Yes. What can make me whole again? Nothing, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. Yes. No other fount I know. 
nothing but the blood of Jesus. And the third is the name of Jesus, the name of the Lord, a strong tower. The righteous run to it, they're saved. Jesus, there's no other name under heaven which we could be saved. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. When you have Jesus, you have it all. That's so powerful, man, I'll tell you. I I, I saw something else too, Bill. It's um, speak to the mountain. You know, the Bible says, speak to the mountain. And it wasn't meaning literal, you know, speak to a mountain and tell it to be removed. It's using the word like Bill talked about to speak life over us so that we are overcomers. And we can't forget that, that, you know, we in prayer, we use the very words Bill talked about, the Bible that we read, and we speak that over our lives. And that brings strength and uh ability to overcome, you know, that thing. There are a couple other things I think that are really, really important. And Bill talked about this too, this whole isolation. We have to find somebody we can tell. And I speak to the men that are listening. You know what I'm talking about. We don't want to tell anybody anything. Everything's great. I'm doing great. I I, I can I I'm doing well. And you know, and, and and that's not it. Like we have to we have to find people and say, hey, I'm struggling with porn. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. Whatever it is, we have to be able to be man enough. And for our young children, our young boys to be able to see us as men going to groups and other things for accountability. It says, I want to be there for the long term. I want to, I don't want to dip back into the, this life that I've been delivered from. And there are support groups. There are all sorts of things that you can do to overcome this. One of the main things that Jesus talked about. If something's causing you to sin, he used a a very tough example. He said, cut off your hand if that's what's causing you to sin. What I really believe is that if we are looking at our laptop or we have a cell phone or we have any of those sources which would cause us to sin, the devil will use that and drive you to it in order to throw you off. He will do that. He will work against you. And there's no way. Uh, Trust me, I tried, I tried, I tried. There's no way to beat it. Get rid of the source that's causing you to sin. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Yes. I'd say this for couples, for, for husbands that are listening, wives are, talk to your spouse. Ask them how they're doing. If they're struggling, be a support, be a guide, be an encourager to get the help they need. I was, uh, as Bill and I have been working through this, I went on a message board. I just wanted to see what people said, a Christian message board. And someone had posted an article and it was on WikiHow. So if you go out there and search for it and it said, I'll, I'll just give you a couple of things. I started watching porn when I was 15. I was bored and curious before I knew it. I was addicted. I have tried to stop, but it now constantly It's constantly on my mind. Even when I pray, I can't stop. Please help. I am 19 and I've been addicted for three years. I'm getting weaker in my relationship with God. Can someone offer me help? Is it possible to get out of my addiction without telling my friends and family? It's been over two years now and I can't handle this much longer. I need out. Bill, My heart ached because you see 
these men crying out for help. And guys, the only way the men in our lives are going to get help is if we engage them or we create the opportunity for them to share. And and we encourage them through this process of renouncing it, of rededicating our life to the Lord, of getting back in the Word, praying the Word over our lives, listening to music that edifies, exhorts, admonishes, and encourages, right? And surrounding ourselves, joining groups, and finding accountability. And that is the way that we will be delivered and we will have success over this thing. And if someone's very sincere about trying to beat this pornography thing, you must, all of your heart, repent. Yes. Repent means if you're going north, you don't even think about anything but direct south. Yes. You've got to go back the other way. Never again to turn around. Never to go turn back to it. So whatever the source is, if you're, if you're sincere about getting rid of this, you take it to the Lord you truly repent before him, which means you don't ever, ever go back. Ever. So I leave you with this. If you were to walk in a church, a typical church, and someone told you that seven out of the 10 men that you'd line up are struggling with porn, you'd be shocked. I was. And that those that are 11 and 17 are the most addicted to porn. And that women are becoming the fastest growth for pornography. It's not just a men problem anymore. It's a worldwide epidemic. Father, we lift up the folks that are listening to this message. God, we are asking that you break strongholds, that you bring about the change that is so desperately needed. That folks are walking around like Bill, feeling guilt-ridden, ashamed, and aren't able to reach their full potential in you because they feel like they are less than, they're uh, not worthy. God, would you lift them up, strengthen them, and put the right people in their paths so that they can have the uh, accountability and the support they need to become an overcomer. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you that there is no sin too great that you can't deliver us from. There's no nothing too difficult for you, God. And we thank you that you're able to make your grace known and felt to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. God bless you. I hope you've enjoyed listening to today's podcast. Would you take a moment and provide a rating, subscribe, and consider sharing this message of encouragement with others? You can also visit us on scottknuckles.com to get more information. Until next time, blessings.